A couple times in life, I've had a conversation with someone and I've started out with a question. It's an icebreaker. If you could spend 30 minutes with any person, who would it be? Now, before you answer the question, let me clarify the rules. Are they living? Can it be someone from history that's no longer alive? I know that's not really possible, but we're just playing the game, right? Just having a conversation. So for our question today, let's limit it to someone who is alive. Take 30 seconds, even online, we'll give you a counter. Tell someone that you are with or someone that you are seated near, or maybe somebody who's watching online that you might text with, who that person might be. If you could spend 30 minutes with any person that is currently alive, who would it be? Ready, set, go. In many of our minds, that list may include someone famous, uh, might be a politician, a radio host, an, an actor, a YouTube sensation, an athlete, a royal, maybe a family member that you don't get to see regularly. But let me give you a little hint here. If you're married and you're watching with your spouse today, you, you may want to ask for a rewind and you may want to look into the eyes of your wife, your husband, and say, if I had 30 minutes with any person alive, it would be you. And I'm honored to spend the rest of my life with you. Now that you are all nauseated with the unnatural display of verbal affection for your spouse, let's move on. Oftentimes when I would ask this question in student ministry, as an icebreaker, people quickly go to celebrities, people that they've never met. But if we change the question a little bit and we ask if you had 30 minutes to spend with any person in all of history, who would it be? I'm not going to give you a chance to tell that to your neighbor or someone sitting near you because, I mean, we're in church. The right answer to every question in church, it has to be Jesus, right? Now, I realize those who want to get fancy, you could answer Jesus to both questions. He is alive, but don't get technical with me. But think about it. Jesus, can you imagine spending 30 minutes face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ? Even in the world we live in, when people question organized religion or you may not even attend our church in person? I think most of us would find 30 minute, a 30-minute sit-down with Jesus to be amazing. But what would you ask? Remember, in Scripture, most people who ask Him a question, they received a question in return. Or Jesus answered a question with what was really going on in the moment. Would you compliment Him? Would you make a miracle request? Would you be able to speak at all? Maybe just sit in awe. The reality of Scripture 
is that when Jesus spent time having a conversation with people, he listened. He cared. He was willing to have a life-changing conversation with those in front of him. Jesus was for those he encountered. The reality of our world is that the majority of celebrities that you may have thought of, they're simply short-term celebrities. And at the end of those 30 minutes, if you spent with them, while you may have been in all, you would probably realize they're not for you. They haven't invested in you. They haven't done something for you. Today, I want to show you, remind you through a powerful passage of scripture that Jesus Christ, he is above all royalty. He defines all authority. He is the giver of life. He has no equal. He has the power over all things of all creation. Everything answers to Jesus Christ alone. He is the true culture maker. He is the true life giver. And scripture shows us that Jesus Christ is for you. Our scripture for today is given to us in the book of Colossians, written by a man by the name Paul. Paul's story, which we don't have time to dig deep into, should give each of us, if you read it, it would give each of us a reason to realize that we have not gone too far for the love of Jesus. Paul had a life change. He also had a name change in his lifetime, and it occurred as Paul was persecuting people who were choosing to follow the teachings of Jesus. If you're interested in his story, you can search your Bible for Acts chapter 9, or even search on your web browser for Acts chapter 9 and read his story. He's writing to a church. The church that he is speaking to is in the city of Colossae. So they are the Colossians. They're at an interesting crossroads where the teachings of Jesus are being attacked by outside religions. Simply put, the church was being challenged. Lower your view and your thoughts of Jesus. So Paul introduces us, reintroduces us to Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He gives them the highest distinctions, the highest accolades that anyone could receive. Now, up front, I want to tell you, there's some titles, some definitions, some positions for Jesus Christ in this passage that are hard for us in our limited abilities to fathom, yet it doesn't make them any less true. Today, I want to remind you who Jesus is through these scriptures. And then I want to remind you or maybe introduce you to the fact that Jesus is for you. And today, I pray you will realize what a gift that is in light of who Jesus is. Throughout the sermon today, I'm going to ask you to answer one question. Do you know and believe that Jesus is for you? Do you know and do you believe that Jesus is for you? But before we get there, let's see who Jesus is. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
a couple of words and phrases that I needed to simplify for me and maybe the case for some of you. The word image used in verse 15 is the word icon. Jesus is the image of, the icon. It's, it's not merely something or someone who has the likeness of an original. It's not a copy. It conveys to us that the icon is an exact representation of the original, carrying with it the substance of, the DNA of the original. Jesus is the image, the representation, the part of the invisible God. When he walked the planet, he was an earthly example to perfection of a God that up to this point could not be seen. Jesus was also, scripture says, the firstborn of all creation. When we read that phrase, it's confusing to us because we begin thinking, oh, so Jesus wasn't the first thing created or he had a beginning. But this word firstborn is from a word, a Greek word, protokos which is more about ranking than timing. Let me explain. Jesus was the highest ranking of all creation. He is the superior being of all creation. So why are those distinctions important to you and to me? If we do not believe that Jesus is the image of God, the representation of God, then who is Jesus? Without those things, what authority does he have? Without those, is he simply a man who came to earth and made some good teachings and performed some miraculous moments and miracles? Who is he without those things? The answer is simple. If we don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, then he is simply another man, another teacher. If we don't believe that Jesus was the firstborn, the superior, and that he rules over all the world, and that Jesus has no beginning and he has no end, then we're in danger of falling into the hands of what the Colossians were facing, a false religion. Pressure to make Jesus important, a prophet, a teacher, a moral person, but not fully God. You see, Paul says, by him, all things were created. For him, all things were created, visible and invisible. When it comes to creation, Jesus Christ planned it, he produced it, and the final cause, he did it for his own pleasure. To us, this simply means that Jesus is in complete control. He is in control. And thank God, I'm not. As God's son, Jesus was and is in charge. There was never a time that he was not in existence. There is nothing, not a kingdom, not a ruler, not an authority that he has not overseen. Praise God. He holds all things together. Please, we cannot limit Jesus to a nativity set as the baby in the manger. We can't leave that off, but we can't leave him there, nor can we limit him only to a crucified and resurrected Savior. Those are fundamental truths, but there is so much more that Paul is giving us. I realize the concepts here are difficult for our limited minds, but Scripture reminds us in various places and the examples and the power of Jesus, the miracles, and even Jesus himself referring to himself as God. That was one of the reasons why 
the Jews wanted to have Jesus stoned and killed. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the authority. You don't get upset enough to kill someone because you're mildly upset as the Jews did. This was the reaction to Jesus for everyone who met him in Scripture. You loved him, you hated him, or you feared him. C.S. Lewis once said, we may note in passing that Jesus was never regarded in Scripture as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval of Jesus Christ. You cannot mildly love Jesus if you place him as the authority, the ruler over all. Who is Jesus to you? Is he God? Does he rule supreme over all creation? Does he have leadership in your life? Do you know and do you believe that Jesus is for you? Paul continues in verse 18. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. As if Jesus being before all things and in full control is not enough to distinguish Jesus, as Paul outlines in verse 15 through 17, he's now called the head of the church and he is the firstborn from the dead. That could be confusing. Again, simplified for my understanding. When Jesus was crucified, when he died and was placed into the tomb and he rose from the grave, in that moment, he was the first to rise from the dead who would never die again. He's the firstborn from the dead. He goes on to say through Jesus that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent's not a word I use every day. So again, definition, preeminence is the fact of someone or something surpassing all others. He's preeminent in all things. He surpasses all things, all others. Over the past few years, there's been a term, it's actually an acronym that has become quite famous for someone who's considered to be the best at their trade or their sport. They're simply called the GOAT. The acronym means greatest of all time. Now I could sidetrack us completely today by asking you to turn and tell someone who you think the greatest athlete of all time is. And while you may express your opinion, the reality is you're wrong unless you say Michael Jordan. See how I just stirred up controversy for you and took you completely off our purpose? Stick with me. When you hear the word preeminence, for me, a simple watered-down understanding is greatest of all time. But not just in one area, but in all things. I once heard said, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he cannot be Lord at all. Paul says Jesus is, listen, Jesus is in everything. He is the one who surpasses every person who has ever lived or will ever live. He is the picture of love, 
mercy, grace, discipline, lived to perfection. He's the greatest conqueror. He is the most humble servant. He is everything. And just a reminder of what we're about to see. He's for you. Here's where the passage shifts from the accolades about Jesus to the actions of Jesus. Verse 19, 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So for me today, for you today, what does that mean? Again, we're introduced to a word with great meaning, with great significance, reconciliation. Jesus reconciled. Reconciliation, bring us back into a relationship to God. Reconciliation speaks of a resolution between, of problems and a restoration of friendship between those who are out of fellowship. There's not a need for reconciliation if a relationship isn't broken. Our sin has placed us in a broken relationship with God. God is holy, perfect. We are sinful, every one of us. I know we like to point out the sins of others, but we have all sinned. And we cannot simply declare ourselves holy. Sin required a payment. That payment was a death, and Jesus became that payment for reconciliation. The final verses give us a greater understanding of reconciliation from us to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 20 tells us that our broken relationship with God through Jesus Christ took place through His death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Then Paul does a, gives us a giant favor. He describes us without a relationship to God and with a relationship to God in verse 21 through 23. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He, Jesus, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Reconciliation through Jesus brought us from being aliens, foreigners, disconnected from God into God's presence. Reconciliation brought us from death to life. Reconciliation took us from doing evil, living with hostility to the things of God, to consistently serving the Lord. Reconciliation gave us an audience and an acceptance by a holy God. Reconciliation gave us stability. Reconciliation gave us freedom from sin. Reconciliation gave us freedom to experience new life in Jesus. So let's put this all together. It's a lot. Jesus Christ was God in flesh. According to Paul's words and the mouth of Jesus himself, Jesus is greater than any other 
authority to have ever lived or reigned. All of creation was made to point directly to Jesus as the greatest, surpassing all others, his majesty, his power in and through all creation. He's in control of all things. Thankfully, we are not. He is greater than any other earthly leader that has ever existed. He is the definition. He is the perfect example of humility and sacrifice, miracle working, compassion. He has the ability to confront with truth and grace and Jesus surpasses every person, every authority, in every category, in every way that has ever existed. And this Jesus, this supreme ruling Jesus, loving Jesus is for you. Now, hopefully if I were to ask you this question again, who would I want to spend 30 minutes with if I had the chance? Jesus Christ. Why? Why would I want to spend 30 minutes with anybody else? Why would I not want to spend time with one who is above all, is all, leads all, models perfection in every way from before time begins for all eternity? Now that would be an amazing 30 minutes. But here's the beautiful part that we've already covered it in this passage. Jesus made a way for you to spend not simply 30 minutes with him, but your eternity. Do you know and believe that Jesus, this powerful Jesus, unmatched, unparalleled, is for you? You see, the Jesus described by Paul in verses 15 through 19 is the Jesus who died on the cross to reconcile you to God himself as outlined in verse 20 through 23. This perfect, great, ruling Jesus allowed himself to be beaten, mocked, spat upon, placed upon a cross because of your sin and mine. And it required a perfect payment for the sins of the world. Please hear me. The only sacrifice worthy, the only sacrifice able to reconcile a sinful world to a holy God was and is the Savior who ruled created and gave authority to it all. Paul had to remind, he had to raise the greatness of Jesus to his listeners. And in doing so, he's doing that for us now. Before he speaks of the needs of reconciliation, but he includes that for us. I hope you realize today that our greatest need, our brokenness and our sin, our greatest need could only be met by the greatest gift. Do you know and believe that Jesus is for you? I'm so thankful today that you've spent time with us to listen, to examine God's word, for us to be for you because Jesus is for us. But please know, Jesus Christ desires a relationship with you. One of the greatest moments that Jesus spoke, that he is in fact for you, many of you know. In the book of John chapter 3, Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through the world might be saved through him. Jesus Christ, with all that he was, is, and forever will be, offered himself on a cross for your sins and mine. He is for you. Do you know and believe that Jesus is for you? Would you pray with me today? God, in just a few short minutes, I have attempted, God, to summarize eight verses of great power, of great realization of how great Jesus is. And no matter how poor or with mediocrity of way I've done that, nothing compares to the reality that you are above all, in all, created all, surpass all. You are the greatest of all time in all aspects of perfection. Yet, you did not keep those things from us. Instead, you lived on this earth when there was a payment needed to be made for sin, you became it. The only sacrifice that was perfect for the greatest need we had, our sin, could only be met by the greatest gift of Jesus. God, I pray for those that are at home. I pray that they know and believe that Jesus is for them that if today in their home they will confess, that they would repent. Two words we don't use a lot, but we understand them. Confess, to acknowledge our wrongdoing, to repent, to say, I will turn a different direction. If I will confess and repent that Jesus is Lord, you will save them. God, in their home, maybe next week, maybe they're on vacation, Whatever the situation is, they have an opportunity right now to stop and answer the question. Do you know and believe who Jesus is? And do you know that he's for you? God, thank you for your word. May it penetrate the hearts of those listening today. In Jesus' name. Your greatest need could only be met by the greatest gift. Jesus is for you. If you have an opportunity and you would like to let us know that you have questions or even you've pressed pause and you've confessed and repented and turned to Christ, I would love to know it. I know that's personal. I know that's deep inside of you, but we would love to celebrate with you. In fact, during our Sunday service uh, this weekend, we have 11 people who are letting everyone know they've trusted in Jesus by following through in baptism. And we wanna know. We wanna come alongside you and know that you've realized that Jesus is for you. You can reach out, you can call our office. 
You can email me directly. It's just michael at richfork.com. You can send us a, a message to say, we want, I need someone to walk alongside me to help me understand that the greatest need that I've ever had has been met by the greatest gift, Jesus Christ. We look forward to the opportunity of walking that journey alongside of you. Thank you so much for spending your time with us this weekend.